Welcome to Grace in Public, preaching and teaching in the heartland and all around the world. And now we'll go straight to our main message. As we look at the marvels and beauty of creation, the mountains and the lakes and the streams and the trees and all the majesty of God's handiwork, as the earth begins to vibrate with the joy of flowers, with the beautiful process of vegetation, and all the immaculate production of life in various forms out of death, you begin to realize that creation was no accident. As we see and feel the soft breeze of the wind, as it comes upon us in the quietness of a summer night, as we receive the softness of the snowflake as it comes upon us in winter. And then we begin to see God clear it all out to bring in new life in spring. We realize that God's order of creation is no accident. As we consider the birds as they go south in the winter and they come back to the same destination and within a very limited geographical area because of their amazing capacity to do so. We know that God guided those birds. As we look at the baby that is born and as the mother begins to take the child in her arms and nurse that baby and the milk that is prepared in the breast of the mother that was prepared before the child was born to nurse the child at birth, we realize that that was no accident. As we begin to see the progress of man in the science of his achievements, as he discovers new provisions for his human sustenance, as God begins to reveal through science new knowledge for his survival, as we see that when man had a need for coal, he discovered it. When there was a need for oil, he discovered it. And when progress made greater demands, God's provision was revealed to meet those demands. And we realize that these things are never accidents. If these things are not accidents, it is no accident. The things that go on in our lives, sickness is no accident. The problems we have are not accidents. The trials we have are not accidents. But with everything in God's plan comes the heart, the love, and the compassion of God's provision. Romans 11.26 says, For all things are of him, through him, and all things are for him. Therefore to him be the glory, and to him be the dominion. Of him, through him, for him. Not a single thing happens by accident. When a person begins to come away from a serious accident, and their first words are, it was just a great accident. Because to them, by sight, that's true. 
But all things are of him, through him, and for him. And it wasn't an accident. Neither was it accidental that God says in Matthew 10.29 that not even a sparrow can fall without his thorough knowledge of what's going to happen. Not even one single sparrow can fall. It's not an accident. What an inspiration and what an encouragement to know that the God that created creation through purpose and design and for personal realization in which he would be glorified, he causes the various things or knows the various things that will happen in our lives and they are not accidents. And even though many of them are not good, he will work them together for good. And even though he didn't desire for all things to happen, he did desire to bless us in the process and transition of what goes on. So the Lord has said this, that I have a particular plan for my people and the way that I have prepared man for my plan is by sending my provision. Before God ever revealed his plan, he revealed his provision. And in Revelation 13.8, the Lamb of God before the foundation of the world, before you and I was born, the provision was there. No matter what you may face or I may face, I don't know nor understand the specific beauty of my provision and I can't experience it by rationalization or sight or through empiricistic perceptions but in every detail of our life before it happens there is a provision faith tunes in to the provision without understanding or seeing the provision there but God's provision has been revealed to faith before the plan reveals the need and the demands on our life. All things are of him, through him, and for him. And because this is true, the Lord Jesus Christ came in the likeness of a man and fashioned himself in humanity and made himself of no reputation and became obedient unto death. But then the next several words say this, even the death of the cross. That's the provision for the plan. Even the death of the cross. One could die for something good, but it wouldn't be for something redemptive. One could give his life and his body to be burned, but not with charity, possibly. And God has said these words. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Many Christians have realized and experienced forms of death. Death 
to things that meant very much to them. And after they experienced death through the plan of God, death didn't offer them the provision of life. It only brought alienation, discomfort, grief, vexation of spirit, sadness, emptiness. The plan brought into their experience death. God snatched something from them or took them from something. Death was executed. They went away knowing that possibly this was the plan of God. But they didn't experience the provision. And the reason is their death wasn't the death of the cross. It was a death evoked by the plan, but not a death realized by faith. Tis God operating in purpose, but his purpose wasn't realized in life. And because this is true, many Christians are left with questions. Many Christians are left with a faith that wavers, with a life that is not fulfilled, with a mind that isn't peaceful and emotions that are not restful. Yes, they know that it was of God. But they don't realize God with what they know. And the reason is, they acknowledge the plan, but do not enjoy the provision. And with all that they may attempt to do or feel or change, the provision doesn't fulfill them to correspond to the need and what the plan took from them. And sometimes they'll say, I guess this is my cross. And God has allowed me to experience this kind of death. But that isn't true. The death that God has us experience is even the death of the cross. Abraham, you must offer Isaac. But you're going to offer him in the spirit of the death of the cross. Are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Then offer him. Put up your hand and offer your son as a sacrifice. Because it was the death of the cross in spirit, he walked home with his Isaac. Death demanded his Isaac, but the provision of faith was to go home with him. Jacob, you're very confused about Esau, and you're afraid to meet Esau. And you've got word that you're going to, and Esau is going to find you. Death comes into the mind of Jacob. He fears and he's afraid. The plan of God has brought the sentence of death in his life, as Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 1.9. He finally meets Esau and he trembles because he has done wrong to him. The plan allows him to meet his brother. Little did he know that God had a provision by changing Esau's heart so that Jacob and Esau would embrace. And Esau would not want what Jacob took from him but would be glad to give it to him. That's what the death of the cross does from divine viewpoint. The death of the cross 
doesn't take anything from me. It just wants me to be in the attitude of giving it. The death of the cross only takes my life to give me God's provision. It only takes from me what would incapacitate me in life so that God can give me his capacity of life. The Lord Jesus Christ wants to stir up every one of our hearts deeply so that the plan can be understood to reveal a provision that was there for the plan. All the times that we miss the provision, the times that our death doesn't come to the cross, the times that we go away with a self-analysis in defeat and frustration rather than the provision of life and the victory of grace and the power of God's gift. Lot chooses Sodom and Gomorrah in the plan. And Abraham does not. He takes the leftovers. Lot gets into trouble and the enemy comes in to take him over. And Abraham in Genesis 14, 14 hears about it. And the, his nephew that took from him now receives Abraham to rescue him. And this is a picture of faith rescuing sight when sight has failed because of the natural man. And faith intervened without Lot's knowing it and without Lot's asking for it. And here Jesus is a type of the faith and you and I are a type of Lot. We make our decisions by sight and we take what we shouldn't get and we get into trouble with our enemies in the atmosphere and God comes and rescues us with his faith, because it took faith for Abraham to go down and to snare Lot from the enemies. And he rescued Lot and defeated the enemies. Lot was not faithful to God's plan, but nevertheless he discovered the faithfulness of God's provision. And the verse that beautifully complements this is when we believe not, yet he abideth faithful because he cannot deny himself in 2 Timothy 2.13. Or Romans 3.3, 3, shall our unbelief make the word of God of none effect? God forbid, let God be true and every man a liar. I think when we begin to realize our provision, our provision, our provision is a lamb. Our provision is the blood. Our provision is his faith in Galatians 2.16. Our provision is his grace in John 1.17. Our provision is his wisdom and sanctification in 1 Corinthians 1.30. Our provision is his life in Colossians 3.4. Our provision is his intercession in Hebrews 7.26. Our provision is his Holy Spirit in Romans 8.11. Our provision is his compassion in Matthew 14, 14 and 15, 32. Our provision is his comfort in 2 Corinthians 1, 3. Our provision is his mercy in Psalm 23. Our provision is his still waters. And our provision is his rod and his staff. Our provision is eternal life in 1 John 5, 9. 
Our provision is his body in Colossians 3.3 and Ephesians 1.22. Our provision is the Father's fellowship in John 14.23. If you're going to have consolation. If you're going to have comfort. If there are any bowels of mercy. If there's any fellowship. I want you to do this. I want you to let the mind that is in Christ Jesus to be in you. The mind of humility and condescension. Remember, he made himself of no reputation. He came in the likeness of a man and fashioned himself as a man. But then remember this. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Let the plan bring the death of the cross in. And it buries the effects. It takes away the pressure. It does away with lingering. It does away with all the processes of the natural man's fright, fear, reaction, and the weight of his flesh. It brings in the weight of a glorious resurrection, a glorious faith, a glorious rest, a glorious guidance through Jesus Christ in the Word. And most of all, a conquering faith. If in every single step you take, your faith takes you in obedience to the death of the cross, you'll have no problem with the sentence of death. But if you rebuke and repudiate the very plan, you won't enjoy the precious realization of the provision. So it's no wonder that the Christian's life can either be Growing deeply in faith, a growing weak by sight, taking giant steps through the fervency of divine energy, or falling behind and falling down in the fainting discouragement of a man striving without consolation or comfort. It is no wonder that some make advances beyond anything that they would even imagine. And their faith in God comes to the place where it says this. Lord, though you slay me, and though you leave my body filled with boils, and though you take my seven sons and three daughters, and though you take my possessions and bring in three friends that misunderstand, slay me some more, but I'll trust you. I'm going to hold on to my faith. And my faith will not be held in unrighteousness. But my faith will reveal your righteousness. And I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ unto salvation because I believe. Wherein the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And therefore the just shall live by faith. But many hold the righteousness of God in unbelief and don't respond in faith. And because they don't go beyond their local church, they don't go beyond the confines of their local concepts and human idealistic evaluations and interpretations of Christianity. They don't go into the deep growing adventure of faith to have glory revealed and to reveal righteousness through their obedience. And they hold the truth of God in unrighteousness, meaning in passivity or apathy or just plain unwillingness to take the next step. 
They don't go in the adventure of a vision, in the fervency of the impossible, in the removing the mountains of the immediate. Because faith doesn't answer the call of the plan and they don't get to know the provision as a personal provider and a fellowship of grace. Thank you for tuning in. If you can, don't forget to send a tax-deductible gift to us. Your generous donation made to our program promotes this broadcast and ones like it going out on the Internet and broadcast on local stations throughout the United States. So please prayerfully consider what you can give. Find out how to give your tax-deductible donation at www.graceandpublic.com In Matthew 27, such a rich, incredible chapter. And it, and it deals with, with the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Holy One of God, the God-man. And it's an event that's in human history really nothing even comes close to paralleling it. In verse 35, And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation written, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. There were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and build it in three days, save thyself if thou be the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocked him, but the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God, let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in their teeth. And from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. This is the darkest time in human history. Man has rejected God. That Jesus, who only loved and was kind and was compassionate and cared, was rejected of men. And there was darkness. There's darkness from the sixth to the ninth hour. Over the whole earth, it says. For all the land. And upon the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabbathnachi. That is said, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there, when they heard that, said, This man calls for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. And the rest said, Let be. Let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the, the spirit. And then, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened. 
Many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now here, this is a scene, but we're going to focus in on just this small part. That here, in the ninth hour, in the darkest time of human history, Jesus cries with a loud voice and says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the men that stand by, just picture, picture being there, standing by and hearing this. Here is darkness beyond comprehension. And in that time, the natural man does not think about God that way. And they misunderstood what he said. And they thought he was crying out for Elijah, who would come. And so what did they do? They went and they got vinegar, which was dipped in gall. They got drugs. And they said, this man is delirious, and we're going to go help him as best as we can. And they tried to put the vinegar into Jesus' mouth, and he spit it out. And the, the best of what natural man could do at that moment in time was not merely the provision. The provision was Jesus himself on the cross, and after he had cried out one more time, the graves were opened. He gave up the, the spirit. The temple veil was rent in two. Graves were opened. Now here, these men in the dark, in the darkest time, the natural man's provision is always sentimentality. And that's how you can identify it. We need to drown out this feeling of hopelessness with drugs. Look, he's on the cross. He's crying out for companionship from another person. Let's see if that person comes and meets him. But no, Elijah didn't come. Jesus cried out and died, and it looked hopeless to the natural man because he was thrown into absolute disarray. The cross cannot be comprehended by the natural man. But what it does is it opens the graves up for resurrection life that is coming in just a few days. In just a little bit of time it is coming. God at at the cross, the power of Jesus at the cross, allowed men to have life. It dug the graves. It opened them up and exposed them to the world so that there could be resurrection life. We read these statements. Even when the Son of God is being reviled by men, when they mock Him and hate Him and, and kill Him, it couldn't keep Him in the grave. And it couldn't stop Him from loving and that the work that he was doing at that time, we look and we see that when we accept Jesus, when we see him in a dark situation, and we say, my God, you may have forsaken him, but you're not going to forsake me now, because you opened my grave up so I can be resurrected. Right here, you opened it up so that I could live with you forever. I can have resurrection life. And when I am resurrected, 
when this season passes, I'll walk around in the holy city and I'll be with you. And you and I will both know that it was a miracle. And other people, if they have eyes to see, will know it's a miracle. So thank you, Lord. Thank you that even in the darkest times, you have a provision. Here we have in our hands, we have the record of the darkest time there ever was. When you had to turn your back on your son because you loved us. Thank you, God. Thank you so much. We pray, Lord, that you would make that resurrection life real in our lives again and again. Let us not be discouraged tonight and know that this is true. And we can go back. We can look at Matthew 27 as many times as we want. And it will never change. It will never, ever change. It will always be the same. Those graves will always open up every time we look at this scripture. That veil will always be rent. And free access will be gained again. All we have to do is look and believe. So thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We'd love to hear from you, so please go to our website and contact us. The web address is www.graceinpublic.com. This invitation was recorded in Baltimore, May 2010. Pastor Bruce Johnson. The message you just heard, if it had touched your heart, it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's a precious, precious moment where you, if you would take the time, Jesus is knocking on your door, wanting to come in. The love of the Father is revealed to you this moment. It's simply just because of God's grace and God's plan and the blood of Jesus Christ. All you have to do is ask with all your heart. Ask Jesus to come in and be your Lord and Savior. And he will. And from that point on, you'll be part of the family of God. It's that simple. With all your heart, just ask, say, Jesus, would you be my Lord and my Savior? I need you to come in and take over my life. Amen.